Welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. So excited to be back after taking a week off for the holiday. I hope you enjoyed it wherever, whatever you were doing. Um, Hopefully you got some delicious food in your belly and some time to reflect and give thanks. And I am just so excited for today's episode. Today um, is the fabulous shadow work coach, Rachel Besser. She's actually my shadow work coach. And um, we talked today about the shadow and the golden shadow. And this is just such important work. Um, It's hard work. It can be terrifying, (laughs) terrifying work, but embracing and integrating your shadow Um, and the same with the golden shadow is just an incredible, incredible practice. I've, um, done some shadow work through the to be magnetic platform. And every time I do it, I, it's like really hard to go through, (laughs) but then on the other side, it's just, I just feel literally unstoppable. Um, so yeah, so we go through, um, defining the shadow. We talk a few about a few of my shadow traits and then some common shadow traits. And then, um, we really get into kind of Rachel's perspective of subconscious reprogramming and the place of spirituality in personal development. And then, um, she explains the program that she is currently offering, um, for shadow work. So all of the information is there to get in touch with her. And we're doing a really exciting giveaway, which is going to be a free mini shadow work session with Rachel. So stick around at the end to figure out how do you can enter that contest. Um, so yeah. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Well, welcome to the show, Rachel Besser. I'm so excited to have you here. I know. It feels so Thank weird. Thank you. I feel <laughs> all kinds of squeamish and excited. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm just so, so, so excited for this topic. So Rachel is a shadow work coach. Um, she is my shadow work coach currently, which I'm just absolutely loving. We're going to get into it at the end of what, um, what program offering she has right now. Um, but I just want to jump right in with you because I don't want to waste any time with you here. Yeah. So, um, the shadow is really important thing, obviously in personal development, I would love for you to talk to us about the shadow, define it. Let's play with the shadow a little bit today. Oh, shadow. Okay. So the shadow is a collection of traits that we've repressed. Usually it's because of some traumatic event, or it usually has to do with shame and judgment. So wherever you experienced Mm -hmm. shame, you tuck that trait back into your shadow, wherever you experience judgment in someone else or for someone else, whenever you're judging someone, it's because you have a repressed trait, that repressed trait in yourself. Is that okay if we use me as an example from the work that we've been doing? Yeah, totally. Okay. So, um, as I've said, Rachel is my shadow work coach. Last night we were doing a session and we uncovered some incredible juicy bits of shadow, which, I have to say, like I do a lot of personal development work. It's a daily practice. The shadow, as I said last night, like the shadow is like the last thing I think of. Like Mm. it's like, I'm always like attachment theory. And then I'm like, okay, let's meditate. And then I'm like, let's feel all my feelings and let's feel them to the fullest extent. (laughs) The last thing when I'm dealing with a situation is being like, oh, fuck. 
It's mm-hmm. my goddamn shadow. So that's why I'm like loving our work together. So last night we uncovered, and I'm like, would love to hear you explain this more because you get it. But um, we uncovered some like really good bits about um, like my friendships where I'm judging people. And I had a recent experience with my mom where I felt like she was being really patronizing towards my, my new job and this podcast. And as we were doing the work, it was like, Oh, (laughs) yeah, I'm patronizing myself. (laughs) It has nothing to do with her. So can we use that? Like as an example, kind of uh, to delve deeper into, defining it, I suppose. Yeah. So literally every time you feel charge around what someone else is doing or someone else's way of being, it's shadow. It's Mm. because you are, that's the repressed trait. Whatever you label that person as being or doing also exists within you. And that goes back to like Carl Jung is the one who invented shadow, invented, um, defined the shadow and Mm. created that whole model of psychology. Um, and it kind of plays into the idea that every single human trait, um, every aspect of humanism is available to all of us at all times, no exceptions. So we can be Jesus. We can also be Hitler and have access to all those, all the space in between. So when you're judging someone and feel a lot of charge around what someone else is doing, usually it has to do with how you felt when, when you were identifying as whatever you're labeling them now, does that make sense? How I felt when I was labeling them. So when I was labeling my mom as patronizing, it's because I was feeling patronized or I was feeling patronizing. Both. This is where (sighs) it gets kind of tricky can branch off. So like the example I was thinking of when I said that is weak. How many times Mm. as little girls and little boys, weak and needy are like the most basic examples that I use when I explain this. How many times when you were a kid, were you shamed for being weak or needy? And then as you grew up, you made sure that whoever you were around, be it parents, teachers, da, 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 you made sure that you were not perceived as weak or needy. So those Mm. two things would be tucked into your shadow trait. And then because we cut off access to those traits, we deny ourselves opportunity. And what I meant by the feeling experience is when we were perceived as needy slash weak by that person, usually it's like a parent or caregiver or even a teacher in some, I have a couple of teacher examples in my, (laughs) in my experience. Um, Usually we felt a lot of shame for being those things. And that's why we tuck them into the shadow and say, I can't be that because when I am that, I get rejected. And then when we see that reflected back to us and other people, which is the whole idea of shadow projection, then we, it elicits that same emotional response. And we're like, I don't like that feeling. Get them away from me. It's them, not me. Because the shadow is part of the unconscious mind. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, I feel like, okay. I don't want to jump too far ahead. (laughs) I hope that made sense. I feel like there's definitely opportunity for a lot of side tangents there. Um, That definitely makes sense. And I think it makes sense that like, it's, it's something that we repress, right? Because we don't Mm -hmm. want, we don't want it to see the light. I love the the examples of weak and needy because I've definitely heard those from others and experienced them myself. Weak is definitely a big shadow word for me. 
Um, so if they're unconscious, what does that mean? They're unconscious. They are not available to our conscious mind. So in the union psychological model, you have the ego, which is basically, it's like you're looking at yourself in a video game, but you're real life. So it's the avatar you create for yourself, your identity as you're living your life, walking about the world. And that helps you because it helps you put into relation. It helps you put yourself in relation to the world around you and make sense of things. So if we didn't have an ego, we would be like, Um, probably not functional in if there were humans that didn't have egos, we would have adapted out of that ages ago. Wow. Evolutionarily speaking. So it serves a purpose to keep us in the herd and accepted. And it's as simple as things like I am wearing this beige sweater. That's a part of my identity right now. Mm. doesn't mean anything about me because I, Like I know enough of the work to not attach to my identity Mm -hmm. in this sweater, but Mm -hmm. does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's part of how we're operating, but it's not necessarily top of our mind. Yeah. Wait, are we talking about the ego or the shadow again? Unconscious. It's like the unconscious shadow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, right. So yeah. So the ego is the collection of beliefs we have about ourselves in relation to the world around us. And then our shadow is what is not allowed in the ego conscious Mm -hmm. space. Even though as humans, we represent all things Mm -hmm. and like good and bad exist together, right? This continuum is like, you can't have one without the other. You can't have good without bad. You can't have sad without happy. Mm -hmm. And they're all subjective experiences too. Someone else's good is going to be someone else's bad. My favorite quote is one of them is what is chaos for the fly or sorry, what is normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. Mm. And that's part of the shadow experience. We label these certain traits as bad. Like there are people out here, 100%. You see it in society that if you exhibit this trait, you're weak, you're whatever, and you're bad because of that thing. And they disconnect from that part of themselves. That is just a wonderful thing to remember in life in general. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're all different. Yeah. Yeah. That's really yes. cool. So when you have an integrated shadow, you can look at those experiences where someone else maybe genuinely is being like terrible to you. Mm. And you just know intrinsically it has nothing to do with you mm. because you're not seeing these wounded parts of yourself in someone else anymore. Wow. I, yeah, can't wait to get there. That's the goal. (laughs) Cannot wait. Um, Okay. So talk to me about the golden shadow. The golden shadow slash light shadow. People call it different things. I think Jung called it golden shadow. I don't know. Um, Is it's the same concept. So when you feel a negative charge around someone, that's usually regular shadows. We don't want to be that thing but it also exists on the other side of the spectrum. So when you see someone that you're really enamored with, and you usually you see this in like anxiously attached people who just meet someone and they're like, Oh my God, this is a person twin flame trauma bond type of experience that is golden shadow. So you have these traits that are still not accessible to you in your conscious mind, but they're on the positive end of the spectrum. So we are magnetized to these people. And that can be things like, people who are confident, people who are like charismatic or whatever you 
don't think you are, but want to be. Mm. Um, I just experienced recently an amazing golden shadow. That was just such a wonderful example. And like, like we all, it's the same as the shadow. Like we all have those traits within us, right? Like we're just as we are all of the negative traits in the shadow, we're also all of the positive traits in the golden shadow. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily about being those traits explicitly. It's having access to them. Mm. So you're giving yourself permission to be all of those things. Mm, I love that. necessarily mean you are because then you get into traits in the shadow where maybe you don't want to actually be something because of your own free will. And that could be like mean. Maybe you don't want to be mean, but maybe you're afraid of being perceived as mean. Mm. And that can cause you to try and control someone else's perception of you. And so accepting that you could be potentially mean in someone else's perception because we're all flies and spiders mm-hmm. means <laughs> will, um, so like if you start integrating that kind of what, I guess, what's the end game? Like what's the end result of this work that you've seen? The end game is that you become hashtag unbothered. That's my favorite. <sighs> Love like that. literally unbothered. Don't uh, care. Uh, you can experience like. You'll be in line at the grocery store and the lady behind you screaming at you for all these things and calling you names and da-da-da. And this hasn't happened to me personally, by the way. I'm just using this as a very <laughs> like <laughs> visual example. <laughs> but Can't if wait. that did happen, I would know that like this has literally nothing to do with me. Unbothered. So, I love that. Yeah. Hashtag goals. I love that. Um, okay. You just said two amazing, um, things. Can you define twin flame and also trauma bonding for us? Oof. Okay. I'm not a super spiritual, like teacher person. I am spiritual, but I'm not, it's not my shebang is to teach that stuff, but twin flames are usually the people there's like the chaser and then the, the runner is what I hear. Mm. And Usually the relationship is the exact same thing as a trauma bond. And it's basically that explosive relationship, but it's so freaking passionate and you're addicted to each other and it's so codependent and you can't get out of it and you break up a hundred times and then you get back together 101 times. And then ultimately, I mean, I don't know anyone that's had a really successful long-term relationship from a trauma bond, but maybe I just haven't met them yet. I love, (laughs) I love the idea of leaving open the possibility. (laughs) Not judging. Yeah. It could have, I mean, it could happen for sure. Yeah. Um, Okay. And trauma bonding. What is trauma bonding? The trauma bond is where you basically, your your trauma dovetails with whoever you're romantically interested in and you project on each other and you usually take it out on each other and it's Mm. very explosive, but it can look like other things too. Like there's micro trauma bonds I've seen where you just connect really, really deeply with someone right away and probably overshare a little bit. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're talking about your traumas, but it's basically going from zero to 100 intimacy wise, real fat, like right mm. up front. And then what happens usually that's like with a, I just keep thinking of fearful avoidant 
dynamics where it's so intimate and then it's like, whoa, that's too much. There's <laughs> all the red flags. I don't like it. Um, and then you blow it up. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And just to um, define fearful avoidant, it's a type of attachment style Mm -hmm. um, that we can get into later if we want to. But if not, we've got (laughs) another episode, Intro to um, Attachment Theory with Flora of Redo Love, um, which has great definitions of attachment theory. Yeah. And attachment styles. Love it. Yeah. Um, okay. So then talk to us about subconscious reprogramming, one of my favorite topics. Mm-hmm. And how does that like tie into the shadow and the golden shadow and all that stuff? Yeah. So let's see. Subconscious reprogramming has to do with subconscious mind. Um, I was looking up stats to try and pull for this podcast last night and I couldn't find any like good. I feel like they're gatekeeping all the good studies. I need to not fair. Someone's, I know. I'm like, I went to college. Give me, give me that library access card back. Come on. <laughs> but the one um, information bit I did find was that there is, it's not even a cited source, but anyway, your brain can process up to 11 billion bits of information per second, but consciously we can only process 50. So where's the rest of it going? Elsewhere, it's like being offloaded into the nothingness, into the ether. Um, But your subconscious mind controls all your automatic processes, basically. So like your breathing, digestion, uh, when you're driving and you totally zone out and then you're like, how did I get home? I don't don't know how this happened. That's your subconscious mind operating the front of the vehicle. And then the most important thing to note about it is that your subconscious mind, this is a fun fact by our dear friend, Miss Thais Gibson, mm, is 95 to 97% of all our decisions are made from the subconscious mind. They're emotional decisions. So if you don't know how you're feeling and what your patterns and programs are, then you're going to be operating on autopilot. And that goes back to the, like the trauma bond behavior and insecure attachment stuff is you're attracted to people who create this. It's basically like your nervous system is calibrated to a certain level of chaos. And if you mm. don't do any deprogramming, some people call it deprogramming, reprogramming, hmm. basically build out new neural pathways and new associations to new experiences, new positive associations to different experiences, then your subconscious mind will pull you back to whatever dynamic you grew up with. Your subconscious mind, let's see, it's from zero to eight years old is what they say. But I did learn in my psych class, whenever that was a couple of years ago, that neuroplasticity doesn't actually stop in the brain until you're 28 now instead of 25. Wow. Or your, your prefrontal cortex is not fully because humans are taking longer to age basically as we evolve. So that's wild. Yeah. So point being and ironic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) Yeah. So point being, however you grew up is what you are programmed to. And you can think of it on like a feeling level. So the emotional experiences that were normal for you as a kid are what you will seek out as an adult. It doesn't mean that the external circumstances look exactly the same, Mm. but if you grew up in chaos, you will recreate chaos in your adulthood, even if there's nothing there to create it with. You'll find a way. You'll find a way. way. Could be addiction, could be credit card debt. 
Mm-hmm. Could be trauma Ugh. bonds. Trauma bonds. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Or terrible bosses. Bad, yeah. bad work environments. Mm-hmm. So many different ways. Is that defined as self-sabotage? Yeah, totally. Self-sabotage is a byproduct of the subconscious comfort zone. What does that mean? Sub, your subconscious mind. So when I say this, I mean, there's like actual neural pathways in your brain that say this type of dynamic is safety mm. means I'm safe. I'm familiar with that. I know how to survive in that experience. Let's bring that back. And that's why you have like fearful avoidance. So, um, feeling insecure when there's nothing wrong in their life. Like that happens to me <laughs> still to this day, recovering, <laughs> recovering fearful avoidant here. Um, <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, if there's peace, your brain doesn't know what to do with it because mm. we didn't grow up in peace. We don't associate peace with safety. So part of the reprogramming, the reprogramming process for us is building out new associations to peace. That means oh. this is safe. I'm allowed, to, like I'm safe to be here. Mass and Kip um, is a really good reference for this actually, because he talks about, he uses different languaging, but it's basically like recalibrating your nervous system to a new environment. And if you don't show your body that you're safe in a certain dynamic, so that would be like a secure, a securely attached relationship or secure partner. If you're a very insecure attachment style, you have to show your body that it's safe because your, your brain will put you right back or your conscious mind. No, you're all of the above, all of the above will put you wow. back and sabotage you back to your comfort zone. That is wild. Okay. So after I'm just going to use an example, after I got married, married, like getting married was chaos. It was like kind of like race to the finish line. I got married in another country in another language, which (laughs) I'm an event planner, but like, that was like next fucking level of like chaos. The photographer arrived an hour late and I just like, I almost had a heart attack. It was a great wedding. So beautiful. So glad it all went. And and then we were literally in like this, like beach side of Mexico paradise after the wedding was over. And I was just like Mm -hmm. relaxing. And then immediately, as soon as we got home, I was like, I think I need to start a business. (laughs) whoa and I just like I couldn't I couldn't sit with just the bliss the oh yeah (laughs) wedding bliss like I couldn't just just sit there I couldn't not have something going on in my life and that was the first time that I was conscious of it ever ever well it took a few months but like (laughs) now now looking back I'm like oh god that was that was peace that was peace and I Mm -hmm. like as a fearful avoidant I could not sit in it Ugh, it's so annoying. It's so hard. Yeah. It's a lot to sit in all at once too. I mean, I was in therapy for literally nine years or I guess seven years before I started all this type of work. And this is like a disclaimer for shadow work in general is you have to be able to regulate your emotions before you dig into it. And you have to have some degree of like just a solid sense of self because what you're doing with shadow work is chipping away at the version of yourself you hold yourself as on this imaginary Mm. pedestal and saying, I am just as good and capable as that person who I just bothers me, who that person who gets under my skin, you're the same as them Wow. in order to accept that and move into that, like the process of accepting it, that it brings up a lot of emotions. It brings up all the shame from the original little T drama or sometimes big T drama. 
but yeah, it's wow. a lot. It's not, it's not easy or necessarily fun all the time, but it is so rewarding. Mm, yeah, for sure. So this subconscious reprogramming to create new neural pathways is the way to embrace this part of the shadow. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I am careful with languaging around the sciencey side of it because people mm. reprogramming is a hot word right now. It's a buzzword, mm. but really it's building new neural pathways. And even more than that, it's letting the old ones atrophy and die off because you're strengthening. It's like you're working out with your one arm, your right arm, your whole life. And then all of a sudden you're trying to use your <gasps> left arm now. Oh. And when that left arm gets weak, your right arm is going to like catch the, catch the back there. Subconscious reprogramming is what's happening. I don't, I don't think they're necessarily like, I'm trying to figure out how to connect them to. So subconscious reprogramming oh, is what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what happening. It's what's happening when you are integrating the shadow. Is that correct? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So you're deprogramming. You're allowing your old neural pathways that are activated when you see this trait in someone else. You're allowing those to die off because you're allowing mm -hmm. this new emotional experience in your body and building out positive associations to feel that experience. Does wow. that make sense? How long does that take? That absolutely makes sense. Yeah, it totally depends on the shadow trait and like your process <laughs> and how deep you want to go into it. It's, like, it's definitely not a one size fits all thing. Mm. And it's not a one trait fits all thing too. Like we all have different, we all have shadows. Like you can't have an ego without also having a shadow. It's mm. a human part of the human experience, but we're all going to have different like degrees of intensity with different shadow traits. Mm. So for some like weak is not a particularly charged shadow trait for me, but maybe something like stupid is, is one like to out myself is I'm afraid of being stupid mm. or being perceived as stupid because that has way more charge and baggage around like in my previous experience. Mm. So it's going to vary from person to person and trait to trait. Got it. That makes sense. So perhaps a lifetime activity. I hope not. I'm tired of this. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I can't even say that I'm tired of it because <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, I'm totally working. I mean, I've done two shadow workshops, but like, I can't say that it's like constantly been on my mind. Cause again, it's the last thing I think of, which it's so funny. <sighs> I think it's a never ending process too, because as we're living our lives and doing new things, the whole point of integrating shadow, in my opinion, is to allow ourselves access to opportunities that we wouldn't otherwise mm. give ourselves or let ourselves um, pursue is as we're living our lives and chasing those new opportunities, we're giving ourselves opportunities to develop new shadow traits, basically, because we're allowing ourselves a greater, we're allowing ourselves to experience shame on a greater capacity. But the plus side is you have a bigger bandwidth to hold those feelings. Mm. So you won't feel the same degree of shame that you do now. Mm. Also, when you start shadow work, it's a lot of back storage, shame back storage. That makes so sense. So once you yeah. clear out the initial gotta do the dump full, truck there. Yeah. yeah. Then it gets easier and it's more of like a maintenance process. Wow. Love that. Love that. 
Sorry. Okay. So in a previous job, you were a horse trainer and I'm so curious because I've heard you make, you make so many like horse training analogies. What is, how does like reprogramming or deprogramming the subconscious mind, how does that relate to training a horse? Oh my God. There's so many parallels and it's such a funny thing. Like, first of all, when you're training horses, you have to be slow and you have to be very precise and it takes a lot of repetition and you have to be so in check with your emotions because if you bring any sort of charge to your horse, they feel that and they know that. And a lot of them react to that. And that can create Mm. a lot of quite frankly, dangerous environments, dangerous experiences. So I love the analogy of like when you're reprogramming your subconscious mind or working with your subconscious mind, it's like your inner dinosaur. Basically it's your inner, it's like a horse. (laughs) It's like this wild animal that has a mind (laughs) of its own and intentions of its own. And the like phrasing I like to use a lot in session is you have to really get super clear on what the subconscious intention is and align your conscious attention to that thing before you can really create alignment. So subconscious intention plus conscious attention. And then you can harness all that power. That's what we do when we ride horses too, is we're harnessing all that energy and putting it where we want to. So doing dressage, doing like fancy footwork or jumping and all those things require really the high levels. Well, all of it um, require a really fine degree of control and not even control in the sense of like you're in charge of the horse, which on a, on a cognitive level you are, but it's really about creating a very clear relationship to your horse with really strong boundaries and guidelines. So they are respecting you and you are honoring them and you're able to communicate in a way to accomplish the job with the least amount of resistance. Wow. So the, the horse would be your subconscious mind. The trainer would be you. Yeah. The trainer is your conscious mind. Wow. And you're, (laughs) no, isn't this funny? I've never heard this analogy before. I'm loving it. I am loving it. I'm my subconscious mind is like a wild, just a, she's not purebred. She's she's mixed breed. She's probably a paint, like auction horse. Yeah. She's been through the ringer. But she wants to be a show pony, you know? And I love that so much <laughs> on so many levels. Thank you. Uh, so what I'm trying to do, I love the what you just said about getting your subconscious intention and your conscious focus. Wait, uh, what was it? Attention. Attention. Yeah. It's like the spotlight. Wherever your spotlight is in your conscious mind has to be also in tune with the subconscious intention. Mm. And it's kind of like if I were to put a visual to it. It's like if you're riding a horse towards a jump and you feel it tense up and it's like, I don't know, that thing might eat me and it starts to resist, then your conscious attention has to be there with the horse, put some leg on, come on, and give them that guidance and reassurance they need. And the horse has to be calibrated enough to you as the rider to trust Mm. that when it gets that jump, you're not going to make it harder. You're not going to pull on its mouth. You're not going to like abandon it right before and throw the reins away or whatever. So there's a mutual, it's like a, it's a securely attached relationship between the horse and the rider. You have to have a securely attached relationship from your conscious mind to your subconscious mind, which means you have to be really freaking clear 
with what you feel and what you want and what you need at all times, pretty much. That's the goal. Wow. <laughs> That's the goal. And you have to create a relationship with it. Yeah. Your inner world. Which is huge and takes takes time and dedication. Mm-hmm. And if you were raised in an environment where you were taught to not trust your inner world because mm-hmm. there were a lot of unsafe things living in there, like emotions, then that can be really friggin' hard to do. Wow. That's, I just think of it as like, like a, <laughs> it's almost like I've just been casually babysitting my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I feel that. <laughs> and I'm like, I get to leave whenever I want to. <laughs> no, but, but like when my shit on the daycare. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, mm, you're not my child. Like, <laughs> that's so funny that you feel that way. But like, no. Yes. We do that to ourselves all the time. Like that's the social norm, I think too. Mm. I don't know that many people who are out there living their lives, not doing this work who have access to their true self. There's always some degree of deceit, I want to say, because they're not really, they don't know how to bring themselves into a relationship with someone else if they don't even know what's going on internally. It's wild. I mean, it's, yeah. Well, this stuff is definitely not taught in schools. That is. Oh my God. It's a crime. It is a crime. I completely, completely agree. Um, Okay. So then let's pretend that we've created this um, really deep emotional relationship with our subconscious mind. We're training the shit out of it. (laughs) (laughs) We're riding along. How do we integrate the shadow? Mm, You have to, this is literally all it is, is you have to allow yourself the full emotional experience of being that trait. (sighs) Like truly walk right into your shame. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to stay there. You just have to allow it to exist and then dissipate. Cause I think a lot of people think that it's the trait. Oh, if I'm just the trait, then it's fine. And I've got, it's gone. Like it goes away. If I let myself be the trait, but no, it's the emotional experience of being that trait slash being perceived as that trait. Wow. So if I, if weak is my shot, one of my shadow words, Mm-hmm. Then really leaning into feeling how it is to be weak and being perceived as being weak. Yes, exactly. That's it. That's it. But how <laughs> how easy are those emotions? Like how so readily hard. accessible are those emotions? That's the thing. So it's so hard. I yeah. think it's really hard. So it comes in layers. Crack open a little bit at a time. Mm, and then and there's go ahead. And then go deeper as it like as it's triggered or as yes. So you go out into the world with your newfound conscious relationship to yourself, and you basically put yourself in experiences. It's like controlled experiments to trigger yourself, not more than like a five out of ten, but enough that it elicits that nervous system response, and then guide yourself out of that. And that's how you build trust with yourself too. Wow. So you almost, I wouldn't say self trigger, but like put yourself in a situation where this shadow judgment comes up Mm -hmm. and then as you move along, you're in a better, or like you're in a bigger space to like, can like feel more of those. Right. Feelings associated with it. Mm -hmm. Is that, 
Is that what you were saying? Yeah. It's like, you're, you're there with yourself. You're with your subconscious mind. You're offering yourself the support you needed. And at the same time, you can only offer as much empathy to someone else as as you're already giving to yourself. And that's the baseline for, or basis for shadow integration is wherever you do not have empathy for someone else is where you have repressed shadow. Wow. Yeah. So if you go out into the world, knowing that and catching yourself, that's the thing is you have to be able to catch yourself when you're actually judging someone and it can be so autopilot that that's, it's hard to miss or it's hard to catch. Um, But once you do, you have to check yourself, like, where is my, where's my inner wild beast, my inner horse? Are they freaking out? Are they nervous? Are they angry? What's, what's coming up there? What do they need? And then how can I release that emotional experience? Because number one, that's not mine. And at the same time, put yourself in their shoes and empathize with whatever experience that is. Uh, I love that. That's and then you way. can release it because it's not it's none of your business. It's yeah, your it's business. not about you. It's not, not you. It's not even a little bit about you. It's not about you. <laughs> Never about you. But I always think it is. It feels like it is. And that's the basis of emotional manipulation is the narcissist finds someone who thinks that and makes them believe that. And that Mm -hmm. can be why it's so hard to get out of that programming is I'm responsible for other people's feelings. No, you're not. But if you were trained that way, then it can be hard to actually believe that. And that's the difference between thinking something and feeling something. And my process is very much like you have to get in your feeling body because if you're thinking something and not feeling it, then you can't integrate the shadow. Mm. So you have to feel it. You have to feel it. Feel it to heal it. Who said that? That's a quote. I don't know, but I love it. I'm thinking of the holistic psychologist. Oh, love that. might've said that. Love that. I mean, I'll, I'll be linking all these people below. <laughs> so many people <laughs> don't, don't, doesn't, no one worry about that. Um, wow. So how does one think it to feel it or no, wait, feel it to feel it, to heal it, feel it, to heal it, yeah. <laughs> feel it, to heal it. <laughs> don't where my brain's at. We'll just think about it. It's fine. <laughs> We're just going to think really hard about it and then we'll be fine. Um, <laughs> Uh, feel it to heal it. So how does that work? Like, what does that mean to feel? And then also, what does that mean to process? And then this could be your process. Mm, to process, which a feeling, which the process of feeling it's literally an analogy I heard from another great coach whose name is Sarah. I forget her last name, but she's on Instagram. Sarah Francis. That's her name. Um, her analogy is Emotions are like looking into a pond, like a running pond. And when you dig around trying to see what's in there, all the dirt comes up and you can't really see what's actually happening. So processing emotions is like literally sitting there and waiting and letting the dust settle. Mm. But there's lots of different ways to process emotions. I feel like that gets into more... Uh, like neuroscience, nervous system territory, which I'm not 100% familiar with it with, obviously not a neuroscientist. Um, but I know a lot of them refer to emotions as states. So a lot of it is about regulating the nervous system and bringing yourself back to baseline and registering like what 
activates your nervous system. What, yeah, what activates your nervous system? Why is that a perceptual thing? Is there a trauma related there? Like what are the ingredients there? And then figuring out how to get yourself back to baseline. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, how do I, how do I get to baseline? <laughs> I guess for me to get to baseline, I do a fit, like a physical workout, which I've just restarted and it's like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. So I like used to work out previously to be skinny and look good and like be strong. And now I'm like, oh no, I need to work out for mental health. Like I need to work mm-hmm. out to be a better person, which is just such a game changer. It's mm-hmm. made it so that like, in- instead of blowing off a workout, I'm like, no, this is a crime. If I do this, like <laughs> yeah, be a bad person. Yeah. Um, but another way would be like meditate, breath work, um, going out for a walk and having like objects pass by you. I don't know what that's called. Andrew Keeperman was talking about. Yes. I know what you're talking about. And I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. It was such an interesting idea of just like, just walking and like having objects pass by you or like Mm -hmm. when you're running, I guess it's supposed to be very like regulating for your nervous system. Yeah. It has to do with like lateral eye movement and looking back and forth because you're scanning the horizon. That's another funny thing that we used to teach. um, I used to teach in my riding lessons is soft eyes, which is what Andrew Huberman talks about. Um, looking from your periphery instead of like zoned in on one thing, because when you soften your eyes, you soften your body. And a lot of the times when you soften your body, your horse relaxes and like collects its stride a little bit. Wow. So when you're saying soft eyes, you don't mean like me when I'm just like dissociating and staring off. into the <laughs> No, it's well, I mean, I think you can dissociate and have soft eyes. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Okay. Okay. That makes but sense. yeah, the <laughs> goal is to still be in your body and feeling mm. your feelings and have soft eyes. Got it. I was going to say it. something else about the nervous system and I can't remember what that was, but yeah, emotional processing looks different for a lot of different people. I think it depends. Another thing Andrew Huberman was talking about is the, like your internal metronome. Because if you're a high energy person, I'm fairly high energy. I need my external environment to match that. Mm. And like now in quarantine, there's nothing happening. I like can't even go outside right now. Um, That stresses me out. So when your external Mm. environment matches the level of autonomic arousal that's already happening, that like matches your baseline there, then you feel at peace. You feel aligned. Huh. Yeah. Well, that explains my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? He said in one podcast, that's why neurotic people like New York City. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I like New York City. <laughs> God. So the environment attracts the person. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily that the person, well, it goes both ways, I'm sure. But that's yeah. so fascinating. Yeah. I think it has to do with people too. It's so interesting. If I ever catch him one day, I'll be like, I need you to tell me about attachment theory, nervous system matching to other people. Cause I have some theories there about like, if you are an anxiously attached person and you're probably like more, your energy is a little more grabby naturally than a mm-hmm. dismissive avoidant would be. And that would be a certain level of autonomic arousal. And so I wonder if it has to match the other person exactly, or if there's like a, a flip-flop yin-yang situation. Like if someone is operating really low, would they match? Mm. Is that the magnetic 
magnetizing effect or is the dismissive avoidant covertly operating at that same level of autonomic arousal and that's what but they're like a little more they're not in touch with their feelings they don't know what's happening inside Mm, that is (laughs) fascinating stuck together like glue yeah yeah that's fascinating that's so interesting. I almost feel like it would be, well, I'm not a neuroscience, so I don't even know why. Like, <laughs> We've both been binging. <laughs> like why I'm postulating like what I think. Like I'm going to go do a lab test. <laughs> but I, um, I do remember hearing that like dismissive avoidance and anxious attachment style is like they have the same level of anxiety. It's just, um, mm. it is uh, what it, exhibited in totally different ways. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Cause a lot of insecure attachment styles have very dysregulated nervous systems. Like the baseline is just higher than probably a securely attached person, a truly securely attached person. Yeah, for would sure. Be, yeah. Would have. It's so fascinating. So right now I just want to, I just want to learn all of the things. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, uh, here. <laughs> so I want to hear about how, how does spiritual bypass actually help subconscious reprogramming? Like what is its role in this, in all of this? I don't know about spiritual bypass. Cause I think people have different definitions for what that is. And it's basically where, that would be like blaming Mercury, Mercury retrograde for things actually happening, which like maybe that is a thing that happens. Who am I to say otherwise? Um, but things like I can't step out of my comfort zone because this is where my Mars is or like this is my human design or this is my whatever you want to be. And it's the same thing as this is why I don't think it's necessarily a spiritual bypass thing is people do that with attachment styles, too. So it's like anything, any like role, I guess, or identity, any identity, any label you identify with can end up pigeonholing you. Mm. And it's really helpful for a lot of people to understand that label and what it is, whether it's a spiritual thing or like a psychological phenomenon or whatever, just because it gives them permission to be themselves and explore different facets of their identity um, which is super healthy. And that a lot of people have this core wound of like, I'm not good enough, or I shouldn't try, or I'm too much. And so to have this external thing validate them in that way can mm. really be expansive in a lot of ways, but should not stay there. Like, don't get attached to that identity because that's how you go from like someone who finds out they have an anxious attachment style and they're like, oh my God, that's why I'm needy. Like, I'm not crazy. This is my programming. Yes, that's amazing. And there's a point of relief a point where you experience relief as that, but there is a point where you have to take responsibility for your programming and understand that it's changeable. And that's what I feel like gets tricky with the spiritual stuff because you can't just decide you're going to have a different sun sign or a different human design type. And that's why I love looking at those things as not just point of identification for yourself. Like how can you project onto someone else and explore different facets of your own identity? But what are the strategies those people are using? Like, for example, in human design, which is what got me thinking of all these things. um, I'm a generator in human design. And the strategy is to wait to respond, which is 
all well, that's a good strategy for life. I think to not be reactive and hundred percent, let it soak in and then let it come to you. Yeah. Don't (laughs) don't react, respond. But then I hear, um, the strategies and advice for other types and like the manifester is, uh, inform people what you're going to do. And another common manifester thing is like, you have a very polarizing personality or polarizing energy rather. And I've found that to be so true in my life is that I can think of so many times where I've been the polarizing personality. Mm-hmm. So I think, and this is going to, I mean, people are going to resonate with different things, but I think if someone came along and told me I was a manifester, I would believe them and identify mm. with that just as much, even though my birthday says I'm a generator. So things like that. Um, so I'm curious how does spirituality like fit into personal development? And this could be kind of in your own personal life or what you've seen work for other people. Yeah. Okay. I think spirituality is just a means of relinquishing control. Mm. At the end of the day, it can be anything you want it to be. And I don't say that to like deduce anyone else's experience to something super objective, But I can tell you objectively, that is how it's helping you is to say, there's this higher power in charge of my life. And that's one of the things they talk about in 12 step programs too, is that you are not in control of your life. You have to give your life over to this higher power. And what I've seen from an attachment theory perspective is that if you're moving from an anxious or an avoidant attachment style into a more secure one, there comes a point where you have to relinquish control whether it's you're on the anguish <laughs> you're on the anxious side of the spectrum and relinquishing control looks like not sending the text mm. not checking up on the person not reacting to your own fear of abandonment in the moment and just waiting and saying this might be my person this might not be my person but whatever is out there that's in control of my life that's bigger than myself I can trust that thing where I couldn't trust myself and I couldn't trust the caregivers that imprinted me in this way. And same thing with the avoidance side of the spectrum is you're saying, opening myself up to a connection, opening myself up to vulnerability feels terrifying. It feels, I say this from personal experience, that when you're in a place of avoidant attachment, and you're opening up or someone's attuning to you, it feels like a violation. And that is so scary sometimes. So that is the element of relinquishing control and saying, I don't know that I trust myself in this experience, but I trust whatever is bigger than me to give me the download or Mm. whatever that looks like to let me be okay at the end of this day, at the end of this experience. Wow. So, and I don't think you can really come to a place of security, like true security without having something to put your trust in that's bigger than yourself. Because mm. ultimately it becomes you, you become your own secure attachment figure. Which I love. So I- spirituality is kind of the buffer between those two points. Yeah. The bridge in a way. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That's yeah. It does like for me, it's how it's so interesting. The ebbs and flow of spirituality and like my journey. Cause it's just been like, I'll cling to things (laughs) and then I'll just have to let it go. Cause it's like, that doesn't serve me anymore. 
And I'll try anything. I will literally try anything. <laughs> but it's also like, it's interesting that it's helped me confront and speak about past trauma and like mm-hmm. past really hard experiences and get in touch with my emotions in a way that like I just haven't been before. So it's so interesting to hear. Yeah. That inspired me a lot. Actually, when I started, I was in therapy for a long time before I started the personal development journey. And I got into it by learning what manifestation was and the law of attraction and all that stuff. And, um, I was not into the spiritual side of anything at all. Like for a while I was riding that atheist vibe of like, there is nothing like we don't know anything. And anyone who does is lying. Like I can't trust anybody. Um, But I started exploring a lot of different things. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting and resonated is that your emotions are energy Mm. and your emotions are sort of like your superpower in a way. And that is true in a spiritual sense. Like I know a lot of people will probably resonate with like your emotions and your spirit are what connect you to your higher power or whatever. But at the same time, your emotions are an objective thing that you can measure. Well, actually I heard a study on this. I'm very into, um, her name is Dr. Lisa Barrett, Lisa Feldman Barrett. She has some great books on emotions and, um, she mentioned it was hard to, she did a lot of research on emotions and it's hard to actually measure them. Anyway, that was a side. Tell tangent. me about it. She must be that was a side tangent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, my point is that you can like, there's hard evidence for what emotions are. So to blend the two together, like objective versus spiritual, it creates a really nice, like you said earlier, bridge into yeah. a whole experience. And that's the goal is we're always trying to find wholeness, whatever that looks like for us. Mm, love that. It's also like, it's interesting because I've heard it, it's used, spirituality is used for a lot of addicts, especially in 12 step programs to, um, to get clean. Mm-hmm. And it's almost that same thing of what you're talking about of like something bigger than you releasing control will like help you kind of overcome that, whatever that may be for you. Yeah. Control is a huge Mm. topic in itself. I don't know anyone who hasn't struggled with some form of desiring control, whether it's controlling yourself, like controlling, I don't know, we can talk about disordered eating and stuff like that's one means of control, controlling other people's perception of you. People pleasing is a means of control. Like it is so pervasive. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm. Codependency is basically a dysfunction in relating to other people. And it basically is every insecure attachment style is codependent at the end of the day, like baseline that is not negotiable in my definition of codependency. And I think people might have different definitions for themselves, but codependency looks like extreme anxious attachment where you need to be all up in someone's biz, um, you regulate, that's what it is. You regulate your emotions through someone else or you cannot regulate your emotions around someone else. And that would be the avoidant side. So codependency operates really similarly to insecure attachment styles 
How does that, how does that, how is that exemplified? Or like, how, how are those traits made form? <laughs> which, which ones? The, the... Yeah. The anxious and the dismissive as uh, in codependency. Mm. So anxious attachment as a codependent operates in a way where they really need validation from someone else. And that can look like a lot of different things. It can look like caretaking someone else. Um, literally for the listeners, if you go onto coda.org, there's a whole like list of traits mm. that are there that would surprise you. If you're not familiar with codependency, you will read them and say, Oh my God, I'm a little codependent. And it's the same thing with attachment styles in that nobody is really truly one no one and no one's really truly secure so point being everyone's a little bit codependent in their own way unless they do <laughs> some like serious inner work and have really good boundaries so and i i think i've probably met like three people like that in my whole life wow and they might have only been like that to me not like in general <laughs> so i don't know in that moment <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Three minutes that I've met. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then for the avoidance side of it, it's, they call it, um, some people call it, what do they call it? Counter dependence. Mm. And that is this like strong needing to be, well, I say strong in like quotations, not true strength because true strength is vulnerability. Let's just like lay that one out right there. But independent in the way that like they can't ask for help and they have mm. a hard time accepting help and they have tend to like isolate probably. Um, yeah. It manifests differently with different people depending on a lot of different things, but that's the general, I like to think of it as um, I have another horse analogy for you here. Oh, perfect. Is if your conscious mind is the rider or uh, let's say if you are the rider, you're sitting on your horse and the other person is your horse. <laughs> We're not starting. Like, please don't take that visual too far in your imagination. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Go, 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 go. So the, the reins would be the means of connection. So that's the attachment. And in a really good, when you have a really good connection with your horse, the connection is elastic. So if you move a little bit, your horse can feel it. But if they move a little bit, your arm kind of follows them. But it's this tight, you know, if something goes wrong, it's a strong connection. You're not going to like drop your reins or whatever if they spook. Um, so what an anxious attachment would look like with that analogy is the rider is constantly grabbing for the reins. They're just pulling and pulling and pulling. And that ends up restricting the horse's movement in their neck and creating a lot, like too much pressure on their mouth. So it drowns out your leg aids, which you're supposed to be riding like the majority off your leg and your seat and your weight. Mm. So, and the other thing is that if you're restricting the horse's neck movement, that's how they balance themselves. Like I think it's like 60% of the weight naturally falls on the front, the front legs, the forehand. So if they don't have their neck, it's like, like a monkey without a tail, a tree monkey. Mm. Like they can't really carry themselves, which means they can't really carry you either. It's not, it's not pretty. It's not a balanced situation. So that's the anxious side. It's this grabby, clingy, needy energy that ends up being super restrictive and not, not an even exchange. And then you have the avoidant side of it, which would be the people who ride with their reins too long because they're afraid of a little contact. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of horses. I work with so many freaking horses in my day who were a little bit anxious. And if your reins were a little bit too long, they'd get nervous. Cause they're like, where are you? I don't know. I can't feel you. Um, the rain's flapping and I can feel the rain flapping more than I can feel your arm connected to the rain. What's going on. So there's this lack of connection. So both of them are dysfunctions in connection and with a secure attachment, Like I said, it's an even exchange between what's happening in your arm versus the horse, horse's mouth, horse's neck, horse's body. Mm. Well, my husband will be glad to know that he's the horse in our relationship. (laughs) 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 Just kidding. (laughs) But I love that analogy. And like, you don't want to control, you don't want to take away your partner or your friends or your family's ability to land on their own. Like Mm -hmm. that is not why we're here. Right. Right. We want to be able to support them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) have their own 10.0 landing or whatever the scale is in the, in the show pony race. (laughs) Stay on, don't die. (laughs) Yeah. Get to the other side, make it pretty, make it comfortable for you and your work. Okay. But yeah, it's really about having this even exchange of energy. Mm. If you're restrictive, then it's going to block that movement in like an energetic sense and in a horseback riding sense. Love that. You're constantly recycling and exchanging energy between your partner, whether your partner is a person or a horse. Mm. So, and if you are restricting them, then you're blocking it. And if you're abandoning them, then the energy gets lost. Mm. That disconnect. So. Mm. That is my analogy for anxious avoidant relationships as it relates to horses. Love that. So So good. (laughs) Okay. So you're into astrology. Why astrology? Oh my God. That's so funny. It started as a joke because I saw these astro memes on Instagram that were like, Scorpio does this, this funny thing. And then uh, Aries is this way. And they were like, I literally can't even think of an example. They're so dumb, like one worded. It would be catchphrases that everyone says, or like the drinks of choice, or like how each would, uh, what role each would be in a bank robbery, things like that. (laughs) And it was these funny, dumb things. And I only knew about sun signs at that time, but I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, it's not wrong from what I know about my sign. Like <laughs> Scorpio is the one that's like the master planner with Capricorn for the bank robbery. Yeah, I would, I like to identify with that mastermind, uh, <laughs> that mastermind role. Um, but then, yeah, after lots of memes, I did a little bit of research and I started messing with um, astro calculators. I would just get people's uh, birth times and they wouldn't give you the birth chart back then on the one. I think I used cafe astrology, just like the relationship calculator. And it would give you a percentage of how compatible you are with people. Wow. And I would do that and I would get like 73%. And with like my best friends, I'd get 75%. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like I got to find what? (laughs) So then I came to find out that there's actually lots of planets. There's your sun, moon, your rising sign, which is where the Eastern horizon, where the sun was rising while you were being born or when you were born, um, Mercury, Venus, Mars, all the sailor moon, uh, characters (laughs) are based off of planets. And I, uh, funny thing, 
I'm pretty sure they're all, there's like an astro background there. Oh yeah. So then I just started basically, (laughs) I went around saying I'm doing a social experiment and I still do this social experiment. When's your birthday? What time were you born? (laughs) Where are you born? And I would put it in the app and then I would ask people all these questions. And I mean, like I would do this at work, (laughs) like with my coworkers that that I had met twice before I was like, and at parties, I was that girl at parties. And I just started sort of calibrating personality types to specific signs in my mind. And this is why I love astrology because it's so unique to me. So the way that I interpret signs is not going to be the way that someone else interprets signs. Whereas Mm. like with human design, it's like very cut dry. Everyone sort of follows the same guidelines for the types, if that makes sense. Whereas I'm really basing it off of a feeling. Each sign has a certain feeling. And because everyone is every sign, I use it in a way of like, how can I find out this, how this person expresses their Sagittarius or like, how, how does their Gemini show up? And it just, it's really interesting and a fun game for me because it humanizes everybody. It's like, oh, they're not doing that because they're a manipulative bad person. It goes back to the shadow stuff. It's like, oh, they have these fears and and these core wounds and yeah. That's that wild. Yeah. I'm just shocked that that's like in a chart. I got my chart read and the um, reader opened with like, okay, well, it looks like you had some like uh, some trauma in your past. I was like, that's in my fucking chart. <laughs> like, they all say that. Everyone's <laughs> going to tell you that. Any astro, re- I don't know any like spiritual person who has not been like gotten a reading and been like, they told me I have trauma. We all have freaking trauma. Like, hello. <laughs> Unsurprising. If they tell you what type of trauma, then I'm a little more interested. Yeah. If they it was tell you like very uh, specific. Oh, it was very, cool. I was like, damn, I can't believe that that was in my fucking chart. What'd you say? Do you want um, to share? I don't want to share it. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fine. That's fine. I will share it at a later time, but it okay. was just like, I was like, damn. Okay. Whoa. Like, all right, here we go. Here we go. Whoa. I know. What so it was? what's that? Can you tell me what placement it oh, was? Pfft. I have no was idea. Is it Pluto? Damn. Okay. Pluto is an interesting that. place in my chart, but I don't, yeah. I don't remember. I like was really hoping it would also be in a lesson in how to read charts when I got my reading, but uh-huh. it was not. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's, I still don't like, I don't know how much I don't know about astrology mm. and it's been like four years. It's crazy. There's so much there. That's so wild. That's interesting. So you're looking at astrology as um, traits expressed mm-hmm. and um, perhaps like trauma or triggers. Like archetypes. Archetypes. Yeah. I love that. Not necessarily like daily horoscope. Like what's today going to be like? Yeah. I don't really jive with that. And I definitely still experiment. And I'm like, one of the things that an astrologer I heard a long time ago say, I forget who it was, um, but they were like, check like all the big events in your life that had the same theme and see what the common themes are in your chart when that's happening, like your transiting chart. Mm. And I noticed recently actually that when the moon is in Aries or when there's some Aries placements, my moon's in Aries, then it can bring up 
usually I don't think the planets are the things bringing the things up. That's another like disclaimer. I think that those are just, it's a way to track patterns. It's a, does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But if the, so if it's not the planets, then what would it be? I think it's the natural cycles of life and energy in itself. And we are, it's just like how if the watch says three o'clock, the watch is not the thing making it three o'clock. We've all collectively decided that it's three o'clock. That is three o'clock. Your watch is not the thing making it three o'clock. So it's the same thing with planets is those emotional cycles for me Mm -hmm. when uh, there's Aries placements. Um, They happen regardless of uh, planetary influence, I guess. That's fascinating. That is really wild. Well, it's interesting. And astrology has been something I have paid a little bit more attention to. Mm -hmm. Probably mostly because of your guidance, but (laughs) it's a fun game. It's a really fun (laughs) game. It really is. And it's so complex and there's so much, there's so many different ways to look at it. The houses, how to read the houses, the system, like there's just, there's so, Mm -hmm. so, so much very rich. It's very unique. That's what I really like it as opposed to other modalities. It's so unique to the person and it's so subjective to the person, but within these like oddly specific bounds that you can really get creative with it and see what works for you and leave whatever doesn't. So love that. Love that. Okay. Well, I feel like this, um, dovetails perfectly well into the next question, which is, can you describe your program offering? I'm currently doing it. I highly (laughs) recommend it for everyone. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear kind of the description of it. Love it. So it doesn't have a name because uh, I just haven't given it a name yet. Um, accepting creative submissions for (laughs) Um, basically it's a process of creating in your mind, your ideal life. So you're creating this goal and then going through all the areas of your life. And there's the De Martini seven areas of life, which Thais uses. Um, hers is a little different, but, but the one I use is influenced by astrology. It's the houses. And we basically go through every area and corner of your life to build out your shadow as we touch on all these subjects. So it's like a full scope experience of what are your core beliefs? What are the constructs that you're subscribing to that are yours and you don't have to one, an example of that would be like, when I'm quiet, I'm loved when I'm not too much. That's a common, it's so common. Um, But things like that, figuring out what limiting beliefs you have and how they're Mm. actually playing out in your life. What attachment strategies you're using to certain sources, certain emotional needs, you could say, and how to create a plan that gets you online and allows you access to your goals and your future vision, sort of pave the road. And then I forget if I already said action steps, but action steps to actually break out of your comfort zone and recalibrate your nervous system to new experiences. So that support well. you. Yeah. So good. So, so, so good. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it for sure. 
I was, when you said the houses, I was like, cool, this is going to be about astrology. And it's not at all. Like, <laughs> I know I don't even tell, like, I don't talk about the astrology piece that, that much. It's just, I'm working with a graphic designer right now to create a cool visual. So it'll, it'll look a certain way, but there's actually no astro influence at all, aside from the layout of the, the areas of life. Uh, which is so funny, but I can't wait at the end to like go back and like compare that to my chart and be like, oh, this is so interesting that all of this is there. And I like the idea of doing it afterwards. So it's not even a little bit influencing how I'm answering questions. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. It's so cool to see all the belief structures that exist as you're building out, like the recurring themes, like people will have one set of emotions and shadow come up in like the second area of life. Um, and it'll show up again in like the fourth house or the seventh house or like just repeated, but in different ways. So my favorite part of it is watching, watching people's faces light up when they're like, Oh my God, it's all related. It's all related. (laughs) It is all related. And I'm so unconscious of it. It's crazy. I know. Right. And it like, think of how conscious you are now. Mm-hmm. And like, we think we're doing a good job and we are doing a good job. You are doing a good job. I will say mm-hmm. that like 100%. Thanks, but imagine how much better you're going to go too mm-hmm. in like five years from now after oh. it's crazy. We're just expanding our capacity to experience the human experience. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Oh, so exciting. So exciting. And how, well, first of all, we have a really exciting giveaway, which I oh, yeah. cannot wait to get into. But before we get into that, um, how can listeners find you and work with you? You can uh, find me on Instagram at Dawn of Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L. I guess I should spell the whole thing. It's D-A-W-N, which is my middle name. It's supposed to be a funny punny. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that this whole time I was like, it is the dawn of Rachel. I love that. <laughs> Cheesy, but it was supposed to be funny. But I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll change it one day to just Rachel. But for now, it's Dawn of Rachel. D-A-W-N-R-A-C-H-A-E-L. Or you can go to my website, rachelbesser.com. R-A-C-H-A-E-L. B is in boy. E S and Sam. S is in Sam. E-R.com. Lovely. And I will link both of those below. Amazing. So exciting. Okay. So let's talk about the giveaway. So what is it? What are we giving away to our listeners? Okay. I am giving away a free 45 minute shadow work session where we will uncover your blocks, see what's going on in your life. If you have anything pressing that you want to dive into or feel stuck anywhere, I can help you examine your limiting beliefs and build out a mini shadow work framework for you. So you can take away, take that away and step into your life and hopefully integrate your shadow. Love that. Wow. That's huge. And if I know Rachel, she'll cover a lot, even though it's a mini session. It's a lot. It's There's gonna... always more. I'm like, <laughs> it's so fun. I can't I love that. So <laughs> to be entered to win, um, follow both of our Instagrams. Mine is it's me, Sarah Cohan. I-T-S-M-E-S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N. And Rachel, do you want to say yours again? D-A-W-N-O-F-R-A-C-H-A-E-L. 
Awesome. And then leave a podcast review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whichever app you are using. And we will announce the winner next week. I will most likely announce that on Instagram Live because that sounds really fun and I haven't done one yet. So that's that's what we'll do. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has just been incredible. I feel like I've learned so much today. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what the shadow is. Oh, that's funny. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm glad. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed. Um, And Rachel's offered one more thing that we did not mention during the episode recording that um, she is available to answer your shadow work questions. So if you have some questions, please contact me. You can send an email at hello at sarahcohan.com. That's hello, H-E-L-L-O at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Cohan, C-O-H-A-N.com. Or you can find me on Instagram and DM me. My Instagram name or handle, whatever it's called these days, is it's me, Sarah Cohan, I-T-S-M-E-S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N. And Rachel will answer all of them live. She's going to do it on Instagram live with me when we announce the winner next, I believe we said, Thursday. (laughs) Whatever I said in the episode is going to be the day we do it. So whether it's Wednesday or Thursday, but I think it is on Thursday next week. Um, And she can answer all of those questions. So please don't be shy. Tell us what your questions are. I'm so curious. This is one of my favorite topics, obviously. Um, And it'll be so fun to um, have them answer them live. All right. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. In the meantime, check out sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com. Mm-hmm.